Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of the F1 show for coverage of the 2010 Hungarian Grand Prix from Budapest, Hungary. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and we have a brilliant show for you today covering all the facets from before and during the race weekend in Hungary and even some of the aftermath that's come out since the race. So let's get to it. Okay, we were going to do culture of the race first, but uh, team orders came down, so we had to do news, unfortunately. Got to do what we're told. Yeah. Um, and speaking of that, uh, Ferrari's team orders, that's not gone away. Absolutely. I mean, it's only been a week, um, and I'm actually excited about the on-track action because at least it'll be something new to talk about other than team orders with Ferrari. I mean, that's really just been dominating all the all the coverage and everything's going on. Um, and I think we summed up how we feel about it last week, and since then, uh, everyone else has come in and chimed in with how they feel about uh, you know the merits of team orders and how they fit in with the sport, right. and then also the the side benefit of or, or the, the side issue of um, if they're illegal, how should they be punished, and you know that just it's it's a big mess, um, and I think it's in the, in the sport's interest really to just you know decide one way or another, yes or no, they're they're legal or not, um, and. And just stick with it, and I guess they've they've done that and decided that they're illegal. But yet there's still all these different tricky ways that teams can can get around it. Yeah, it's 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 a rule that isn't truly enforced. I mean, part of what happened was, I think, is that Robert Smedley, uh, Massa's engineer, and Felipe Massa himself almost made a point to make it blatant because they were upset about it internally. Yeah, and I think that's why ultimately they got fined. And also, I think Ferrari is the purpose of the. The, this rule being created created in the first place, and um, I think that was part of it too. Yeah. It was kind of this Ferrari's up to their old tricks again. And because it's not a, an issue that's you know out there in the open, uh, I mean anyone can see uh, you know the technical regulations. You can measure how flexible a front wing is, for example, or you can measure um, all the other things. Well, apparently, to, you can't. Well, <laughs> to make to make sure that the car was is within spec. But actually, Mark Weber made a good point where you know when the drivers and engineers have meetings, uh, you know off camera out of the eyes of the FIA and all that I mean they can have all kinds of systems or, or any kind of uh, you know preset ideas of okay if this happens and then that happens you need to back yeah. off in this way I completely agree so, those should be televised yep <laughs> that is the way to go yeah 24-7 televised uh, driver's life it can but, be like the real world but because that all goes on behind the scenes we don't get to see it as as fans or as commentators or anything um, and we get into situations like sort of these not you know oh the team didn't tell me to slow down but I knew because of my position in the team that I should slow down any yeah. of those kind of you know that like I guess but there's kind of like there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And now that I've had a couple of weeks to reflect on it, I definitely think I've developed my opinions a little bit more. Okay. Um, because, you know, one thing I was thinking about was objectively I can see some merit to what Ferrari did. So I think, first of all, T, Jim and I both still agree that the team orders rule is stupid. It doesn't really – it's not really effective. It doesn't really help anything. Um, so it should just be done away with so that it's not cloak and dagger and cheesy and stupid. Right. But um, the difference between – the thing with this Ferrari thing is it left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I understand objectively why they did it because Fernando Alonso was ahead in the championship and they wanted to maximize the amount of points he could get so that he could get even closer. Yes. But I think the key thing here – is whenever there's been team orders in the past, in the recent past, um, 2007, when Felipe Massa let Raikkonen buy in Brazil, 2008, when uh, Raikkonen let Felipe Massa buy in Brazil, (laughs) 
and uh, the other circumstances, um, it's been because the championship was literally at stake. Yes. And at that point, clearly one driver was able to make it, the other one wasn't. In this situation, there's still plenty of opportunities for Felipe Massa to be the title contender for Ferrari or Fernando Alonso. And while I think most people would agree that Fernando Alonso is, in general, the more capable driver, circumstances would absolutely, Moss is good enough, and circumstances would absolutely allow for him to be the Ferrari contender. Mm -hmm. So basically what they did was they manipulated a situation where Massa was honestly ahead, genuinely ahead in terms of pace, and manipulated it for Alonso to be ahead because of where his point standings were now. What if five races goes by and... Alonso has three retirements, and Massa's the one with a real chance at the title as we get to the last three or four races, and Alonso isn't. So they've effectively shot themselves in the foot in that sense and hurt their chances of um, having the potential, based on the natural order of things, having potential for one driver or the other. They're trying to like manipulate nature, basically, and you can't manipulate nature without getting whacked with the tree branch if you know what i'm saying right and on top of all that they've got all the now sort of the, the distrust and the watchful eye of all the other teams yes. of the fia of the fans you know the, of all the majillions well, of ferrari fans all over a, the world it's all aside the point from the point that it's just a shitty thing to do you know sometimes 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 you have to do shitty things that's how life goes but this was an unnecessary shitty thing to do fair enough um, so, uh, uh, interestingly, a guy with a lot of perspective on this, you know, Rubens Barrichello, was interviewed by pretty much every media outlet that could find him and say, hey, Rubens, what do you think about this whole thing? Because, uh, you know, obviously, as Michael Schumacher's teammate for a number of years at Ferrari, uh, he was always the guy that would have to give way yes. in some ways more famously than others. Uh, I think in general, just the spirit of the team back then was, hey, this is, you know. I mean, is- he ended up leaving Ferrari like, for Honda, yeah. which you know, from a performance standpoint, was a terrible move, yeah. but he was just so sick of it. And whether he was doing, a, you know, an obvious move on track to back off to let his teammate buy or whether it was just like, hey, this is Schumacher's house and you just happen to live in it, uh, it was, you know, always sort of team orders were, were just the way at Ferrari in that era. Um, and, you know, and I think Rubens kind of brought up the point that you did. It was, if, yeah, if it's the very end of a season and it's, you know, you know that by backing off, this will allow – you know, your teammate to win a championship or our team to win a constructors championship, if there's a direct result as a, you know, as, as, you know, a result of your action, then that's one thing, but middle of the season, um, just for a, a, you know, a shift in points, uh, and, and just for, for what it is right now where it's, you know, yeah, the, the, uh, the points at the end of the season matter just as much as the points right now, but there's no clear indication of who's going to be ahead, like you say, and, and that's that's kind of what Ruben said. Uh, and you know he's probably got even you know some more you know nice things to say about Schumacher uh, after this weekend as well. But, well, uh, I mean, the what happened this weekend is steeped in irony, obviously, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to that later on. That's right. Um, so the other big controversy going on with um, you know since the last race is the flexible wing saga gate conspiracy whatever can, can i just wrap up the the team orders thing with a, a ferrari sucks i mean just just to put that on there because it, it at the end of the day it sucked it was shitty to watch it 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 wasn't cool it wasn't cool and it ultimately wasn't necessary so boo on ferrari uh, a, a pox on their family may all their firstborn child children you know suffer great losses i don't know it just made me mad at the end of the day it just made me mad and i i felt like i, I can, had to say I can, something i can see that um, well, moving on. <laughs> does Ferrari potentially making flexible wings make you anywhere near as mad? I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Oh, <laughs> so I mean, all right. So here's the thing. I mean, this is my take on it. Right? 
rules in racing are meant to be broken. So if you can break them without breaking them, that's fantastic. I mean, that's what the F-Duck was. That's what the blown diffuser, not the blown diffuser, the, the double diffuser from last year was. Finding wiggle room. I mean, to me, that's the, that's the cool thing about uh, is the rules. And that's what really gets the engineers going. It's like, like how, do we, how do we get around this? How do we find innovations in places that we shouldn't? Exactly. And, and, and get creative. So... Um, this actually started back in uh, two races ago at Silverstone. There were a lot of, you know, some photographers that had photos of the cars at speed. And just sort of by looking at the photos, you could tell that the front wings were flexing a lot more than they ought to. And th- thus the end plates were, you know, too close to the ground and, and outside of the regulations. And the regulations are pretty clear on this, uh, that the end plate to the front wing should be no more than, uh, what is it, 15 millimeters or something? Oh, no, it's... Uh, it's no, it's, it's three it's, inches. It's, it's like, like 75 oh, mil or yeah, something. Yeah, or... Seven and a half centimeter. I don't know. Well, seventy-five mil is seven and a half centimeters. Is that how that works? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so, you know, they were it seemed pretty clearly, um, you know, outside of that regulation. But the way that the FIA tests this is not by looking at photos and seeing at speed how far they off the ground. It's by doing, you know, a, a, they hang a weight off the uh, off the wing. Well, and, that's and the some... weird. That's the weird thing, right? They have this uh, effectively a dynamic rule that's tested with a static test, right? And, you know, obviously you can do some math and figure, okay, at speed, the area across it should be applying this much force, so we can apply the same amount of force and see how much the wing deflects, but this is the end of, you know, the engineers finding innovations in places that uh, they're outside the normal ways. They apparently found a way to cheat that and have a, a wing that behaves differently uh, when error is actually applied to it versus, the, you know, a way to, to make it then fit within the FIA's test. Well, that's what I was thinking about a little bit, and I could be totally wrong, but I want to just venture a guess, which is... Um, it's all about when you're statically loading it, they, you know, they put X amount of weight on the end of the wing and see how much it deflects, right? Probably. Every, every picture I've, I've seen, I've noticed the car's been in mid-corner, which means that the force isn't coming directly on the side of it. It's kind of coming at an angle. You know what I mean? Like, if that makes any sense. It's like not straight on wind tunnel style, but it's, you know, acting on from different angles. It's acting on from different angles. So maybe if it's a purely static load, like purely perpendicular to the car to the you know the facing front of the wing then it's a stronger less deflectable but if if the force is coming from a different direction and applying a different different way i.e mid corner um then it it is more willing to deflect i could be totally wrong i'm just saying that is the way my mind's thinking, that's the only way I can think of getting around that. Yeah, but just like the F-duct and like the double diffusers of last year and all that, um, the, what's tricky about this is not that uh, – it, it was basically, is that the FIA has approved these cars already. They've done their tests and said, yep, that's yep. legal. And that means um, you know, it's, it's tough for the FIA to go back on that decision. I mean they've said this car is legal to race, so it's not like they can go and, oh, you, you broke the rules and you're disqualified now. It's like, no, we said your car was good, and so it's good. Um, so either, but, but it's good while breaking their rules. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's what's amazing about it. Yeah. So um, so the FIA sort of acknowledged, um, you know, they're they're going to change the way their testing goes on a little bit. Um, but um, you know, it it met the requirements, even though they sort of acknowledged that they also found a way around the with, with what the what the test was supposed to test for. Yes. So if anything, it's just kind of shown that the test wasn't quite right. Um, so anyway, now either. Um, the FIA will have to, re, you know, test these with their new methods, and we don't really know what those new methods are going to be, and whether or not these wings will pass those methods. Um, but um, you know, either they change that, and then Red Bull and Ferrari and anyone else who is working on this will have to go back to a different style wing, um, or 
um, everyone else in the in, up and down the pit lane has to develop their own flexible wing and spend more time in development and money yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, which is getting around the sort of the whole point of cost cutting and and you know these these other pushes that have been going for. So, but um, at the very least, I mean, everything's been deemed legal, so nothing. No cars are going to be disqualified after the events already happen. Like th- that won't happen. Right. This you is know, not like very it was, least. Yeah, it's not like a car is underweight or something. Exactly. You know, real, real simple. Um, but it, I mean, it could have implications down the road based on how you know Red Bull and Adrian Newey have been developing things. Uh, I mean, it's not like they're going to be caught out to the point where they won't have a stiffer wing to put on the car if the FIA if they go to Spa and, and the FIA hangs the you know uses the new system and say, oh, this wing is too flexible. Um, I'm sure they'll have some other wing or they'll have a way to make it work, but it may sort of, you know, if they've been putting a lot of effort into developing this this style of wing, uh, it may slow them down a little bit. I guess I am not enough of an aerodynamics expert um, or one at all to know I, I, this can't, you know, the Red Bull's pace this weekend. Um, staggering. It, just it, ridiculous. It's not just the wing. So Obviously not. We'll talk about that more as we get into the race, but it's not, I, I don't think this is, it's not like it's giving him a second per lap. I mean, it's all, all the, the, all these little pieces come together and certainly make the car better, but it's not like the F duck meant that McLaren was all of a sudden winning races. But Although, there's, but there is, there's, you know, Ferrari and uh, Red Bull are the two teams that seem to be having the same phenomenon. And they're right now the two quick cars. So I think there's definitely at least a correlation between these two things. Yes, and but uh, you know there's there's also more to it than that. So other teams, um, and and we've seen some interviews from other team owners and so on, saying you know hey this just or, or actually you know from Christian Horner saying well when your car is so much faster than theirs they're just going to look for problems and say oh they're probably doing something wrong. And uh, I mean I don't think it's like oh once the Red Bulls are um, you know not allowed to use flexi wings that all of a sudden a Mercedes is going to be on pole or something. You know I mean there's still, right. there's still more no, to it I, than I, that. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and actually speaking of Mercedes, uh, there's some an interesting. Article article in an interview with uh, Jensen Button came out where he basically um, said he is partially to blame uh, for Schumacher's poor performance this year. Ah, and I was, I, 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 why is that? Just simply because of the 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 switch, uh, you know, Jensen's switch to McLaren uh, was so late in the season that all the development work on what became this year's Mercedes was going to be brawn, and then you know there was all the whole situation with Mercedes buyout and all that. Um, all the development went into a car that Jensen would like to drive, which is a very different car from what Michael Schumacher likes to drive, although it apparently fits Nico Rosberg a little bit better. So, Which is fast, I think. Yeah. Uh, they like to go fast. So it's, I mean, not that there's a whole lot we need to say about that, but it was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, that's the Schumacher's performance, shall we say, has been a, a topic of discussion for us in the past. Well, I mean, I seen, I mean, honestly, Schumacher is not the fastest driver in the world. He's 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 definitely quick, there's no doubt about it, but Schumacher's strengths were always his discipline, his ability to build a team around him and car development. So coming this second year, assuming he sticks around, which I think he will, he will now he will have that time to I think that's where his real skill will come in to be able to develop the car just to his liking just as you say. And it really does start from the foundation, the hard points of the car that really can't be changed. And um, or are much more difficult to change anyway, and I think I think there is real potential there, assuming that uh, the whole package can be put together. And I mean, Ross Braun's a smart guy. I think uh, I think it's very possible. When anyone thinks of the classic Formula One races, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, the Hungaro Ring isn't the first place that comes to mind. But it actually, it's it's been a pretty cool track, and I've uh, been on the calendar for a long time. So it was actually built in 1985, in um, only eight months, uh, which actually gives me a little bit of hope for the U.S. Grand Prix that all I that can it, come together. Was in it 85? I thought it but, was earlier than that. But um, no, and so for for this park, it was all 1985, and then uh, you know the first race was in 86, 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's gone through a couple little changes and sort of reprofiled um, to try to improve overtaking, which didn't really work. So it is still for a permanent road course, uh, really the most tight and twisty uh, track. There's not a lot of flowing corners to at, at it. At least by Formula One standards. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and a lot of people, it's sort of like the, the most like Monaco outside of Monaco. Um, and I would argue there's really nothing like Monaco. But, right. Uh, and I mean, most like Monaco, of course, is relative. But it, it, it's, it's a very interesting place. It's got a nice water park that looked entertaining. Exactly. And it's just outside Budapest. And actually, uh, it's apparently the like third biggest uh, tourist attraction in Hungary. Um, so behind you know the the Danube River and, uh, and just like you know downtown Budapest itself, um, this is you know it's a big draw for um, for you know racing in Hungary um, and, and a lot of for you know Central Europe. So a lot of fans actually from Finland and Poland and all that um, yeah. do I make won. it to this race. Kubica was quoted as saying that this was his home race. I'm, I can imagine Vitaly Petrov also wanted to do well here. Yes. So uh, yeah, there's there's definitely uh, reasons to get excited about this, but and it is a cool track. There's a lot of really cool flowing corners to it. Yeah, and there's not a lot. Uh, not a lot of uh, passing opportunities, overtaking opportunities. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, Robert Kubica is excited to race here. Um, he made his bit and made his debut on his track, but uh, also a blast from the past. I uh, remember Hungarian driver Zolt Baumgartner. Not that well. Well, neither do I, <laughs> but I remember that uh, he was, I don't know when that was, that was uh, years ago. A while back. But uh, he made his, you know, Hungarian driver at the Hungarian Grand Prix. That was, uh, that was a big day for him, made his, uh, made his racing debut there as well. Um, Anyway, in in the f- format of taste of the race, um, we have not yet been able to uh, to get some Hungarian food. Uh, that's p- supposed to happen uh, later this evening. But our crack research team did find one for us. Yes, and there I is. Think, so we're excited about. Actually, that. if anyone's in Michigan, uh, apparently uh, Hungarian Rhapsody <laughs> is a uh, wonderful name. Is the, by place, the way, is the the place for Hungarian food in Michigan. Apparently, it's delicious. The, and the last uh, couple years, we've settled uh, for this place called Amadeus, which is good which is Eastern European food, but it's really more Polish than anything else. They have a Hungarian dish. I think they have an Austrian dish, stuff like that. But um, this is a you know, genuine, full-on Hungarian place, so I'm actually pretty geeked for it. I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, okay, finally to talk about the race weekend. No more politics and BS. And right off the bat, Red Bull was fast. Just... Like untouchably fast. I mean, so they they came out and actually didn't use uh, the super softs for quite a while. You know, just in practice and everything, uh, and just were setting some really fast times early on, which is funny because usually uh, Red Bull hangs back a little bit and does their does their fuel runs and different race distances and stuff like that. And you'll see like, oh, McLaren's looking good, or Ferrari's looking good. But now this time they're like, oh, practice, yeah, so top the charts both times. And mm-hmm. but Ferrari was actually not far off, so they were they were also right up there with the times. Um, but McLaren, but I mean, it was still a few tens. It wasn't like oh, it's within a hundredth here, a hundred right. there. I mean, it was. It was still a solid gap. Right. Uh, but that's just practice. And, but McLaren still uh, just having some development issues, uh, having, you know, problems keeping them from getting a whole lot of track time. And uh, McLaren think they're going to have a tough weekend. Um, and actually, because this is one of the tighter, twistier tracks, uh, a couple of teams that have F-duct technology, switchable rear wing technology, aren't running it. Uh, so the Ferraris aren't whatever. So only McLaren, Williams, and Sauber are, uh, are using F-ducts. Uh, everyone else has decided it's not worth it for this race. And uh, also, uh, just a, a shout-out to uh, Vitaly Petrov. Like we mentioned, he wants to do well here. Came uh, fifth fastest in second, uh, Friday second practice. Way to go, Vitaly. So on to qualifying. The, um, the usual bottom six were, uh, you know, the bottom Down six. Down the bottom six. Um, although, Timo Glock and the Virgin did qualify ahead of the uh, both Lotus cars. So that's kind of 
you know, best of that class of F1 right now. Um, they were really excited about that. That that for them is not like a pole position, but yes. But it's if a you'll remember, uh, Lotus, um, Lotus and Virgin had a bit of a bet going on who was going to do better this season, and so far, Lotus is completely trouncing well, Virgin. Well, yes, but this you got to take the victories you can get, and for this, this that's a big deal for them. So, um, do you think we're really going to see Richard Branson in a flight attendant's outfit or whatever it is? Uh, I don't know. I. Hopefully not, but <laughs> one never knows. Um, but actually, the uh, so the seventh man out in Q1 was Kamui Kobayashi in the Sauber. Uh, apparently just got held up with traffic and everything, but uh, it was a pretty dis- you know, big disappointment considering his teammate, De La Rosa, did make it onto Q3. So uh, sad times for Kobayashi, and he was so upset by this that he drove right past the FIA officials uh, went on his in-lap into oh, the pits. Oh, yeah, that uh, was so funny. When, when he was supposed to go off and get weighed, just drove right past him. He was like, oh, I didn't see him, and uh, had a fine, I think, for that. Or no, had a, had a five-spot uh, five uh, penalty. So he ended up starting way, way dead last. So well, let's jump ahead to Q3 here for a minute because it's actually quite interesting because the, the, the amount of people that have the capability of getting into the top 10 is pretty impressive because sometimes it's Force India. Sutil and Liuzzi can both be really strong and the well Renaults into the top 10. Are, yeah, the Renaults are pretty solid. Sometimes the Q3. Renaults are really good. Um, Williams. Williams have been really coming on strong and now BMW Sauber as well. I mean, it, that, you know, there's the... There's the top four to top six, which is also in flux a little bit now. Um, but then, you know, the the rest of the top ten is really mixed between a good eight cars, and it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see. Yeah, and uh, I understand why you'd want to skip over Q2 because your boy <laughs> Jensen Button was out I, in uh, Q2, starts start eleventh spot. That was uh, that was unfortunate. I don't know what it is. I mean, you know, I, in in terms of outright raw speed, I never thought that Jensen was faster than Hamilton ever. But the first part of the season, he was taking advantage of his strengths and really doing well. He got two race wins in early on. He he was, you know, maybe slower than Hamilton sometimes, but he was also faster than them sometimes. And when he was slower, it was by a tenth, maybe two tenths. Now, these last two or three races, he's just, this qualifying performance has been miserable. He's still reasonably good in the races. He always manages to move up. But I mean... Not nothing impressive, and it's been very, very tough. And I don't know what it is. It's like he's all gung ho at the beginning of the season, and then he peters off a little bit. Maybe he's just running through a bad spell, and he's going to speed up again. I don't know. Well, it could be just too that. I mean, McLaren seems like they're really struggling to keep up with whether it's flexi wings or or whatever it is um, to to get back to the top. So they're trying a lot of things, and maybe those things aren't working. That Lewis is just able to drive around a, a tricky car. Um, you know, more effectively than Jensen yeah, is or something. I, I, think, I think that's definitely part of it. That I think Jensen is much... I think... I, I kind of liken it because <laughs> I was a big Raikkonen fan, too. Yeah. And Raikkonen, the last year especially, you know, he was, he was, ho, he was ho-hum. Mm-hmm. And I think both Button and Raikkonen are much more sensitive to how good the car is. Like, when things are working, they can both just be right on. But right. In, in two that. completely different ways. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's that the, they need the car to be well. Where Hamilton... Just has a way of just, just through sheer sheer will, getting a car to be reasonably quick, even when it's just 
not right. Yes. So other notes on uh, Q3. Well, Schumacher was out in Q2. He starts uh, 14. That's not news. Um, but uh, Vitaly Petrov outqualified his teammate, outqualified Robert Kubica, and uh, just seventh over eighth. So it was only by one position. But still, you know, that's the first time that's happened uh, ever in his career. Yeah. And uh, good for him. Like we mentioned, he was fast in, in practice and uh, did a great job to outqualify his teammate there. Um, but the, the top five at the end of it uh, was Vettel on pole um, just by by a country mile. Which is the fourth time in a row and uh, this season, or then, just now. And then uh, with uh, Weber, he's the only one that uh, anywhere close to the lap time. And then, and then Alonso. But even then, I mean, Weber was the next closest one. He was four-tenths, four-tenths off Vettel. I mean, Vettel... Flew through that. That lap was ridiculous. It was, yeah. He must have visualized it and then driven it because it came out just right. Um, but then, <laughs> but then the Ferraris next best with uh, Alonso ahead of Massa, as we talk about, mm-hmm. um, and then Hamilton actually did, did was able to sort of uh, haul that McLaren up into the top five and, again. Uh, I mean, fifth. yeah, quite quite impressive, especially when you consider where. Uh, but and Button, uh, see, in Q one, Button had you know he was way down. He was like eighteenth or something like that, seventeenth, eighteenth. And then right at the end, he put in a real nice, quali- real nice lap, and he ended up seventh. And he was actually ahead of Hamilton, seventh and eighth, going into Q two. Yeah. But then Q two happened, and Button again had that opportunity, but he didn't deliver. It was very frustrating. Here's a question for the ages: How much difference can one little front wing end plate make? If you asked the question yesterday, you'd probably get a slightly different response than if you asked the same question today. Because as fate would have it, one little, dinky, broken front wing end plate from an also-ran Force India car took three cars out during the pit stops, caused a penalty for the dominant pole sitter and race leader, and gave another an opportunity to stun everyone watching by lapping 43 laps on tires that should have been toast in 20, which allowed said driver to win the Hungarian GP. All hail the one little dinky broken front wing end plate from an also-run Force India car! Sebastian Vettel, the super-fast pole sitter, got off the line cleanly at the beginning of the race to maintain the lead. The Red Bull driver immediately went on to stun the crowd, lapping nearly a second faster than the competition. Fernando Alonso also had a great start in the Ferrari, leapfrogging Weber and holding back the other Red Bull flyer. Early on, the best battle was for fifth, as Renault driver Vitaly Petrov went toe-to-toe with Hamilton, eventually ceding the position to the Brit. After that, the race quickly settled down until lap 15, when a chunk of Liuzzi's VGM03 chassis was left in an inconvenient location on the track, forcing a safety car caution period to pick it up. The safety car came right around the time many planned to pit anyway, causing a flurry of activity in the pits. In the midst of the flurry, the Renault lead mechanic sent Kubica out of his pit box right into the front right suspension of Adrian Sutil as he was entering his. And just as this incident was about to unfold, Nico Rosberg left his pit box in a smoky burnout with one bolted rear tire. The other shot off like a torpedo towards the hundreds of pit crew and drivers ahead of him. This allowed for the outlandish scene of two cars crashing into each other while an errant tire bounced past 25 feet in the air. If this were a movie, it would have failed for being cheesy and unrealistic. Meanwhile, the concave-cheeked Australian avoided the whole mess by avoiding the pits and took the lead. But the end plate wasn't finished. At the restart, Vettel, quote, fell asleep and stayed way, way behind Weber as the track once again went green. His waywardness, a clear violation of the regulations, 
which meant the pole sitter and effective race leader had to complete a stop-and-go penalty. This incident, along with Weber's stunning combination of tire management and speed, gave the Australian his fourth win of the season and lead in the Drivers' Championship. Alonso finished second in the Ferrari, but Weber was already on the podium and halfway through his national anthem when he got there. Teammate Vettel settled for third, while Felipe Massa quietly held on for fourth. Vitaly Petrov scored a very impressive fifth place for Renault, and very similarly, Nico Hülkenberg snagged sixth for Williams. And yet another impressive finish went to Pedro de la Rosa, securing seventh in the Salver. Jensen Button impressed no one, finishing eighth in his McLaren. He was ahead of the second Sauber, controlled by Rising Sun driver Kamui Kobayashi. Tenth place is worth one point, and yet it was the hardest fought position in the whole race. We'll talk about who got it later on. Jim, how did Vettel manage to lose this race? Well, it can get tricky out there when there's a front wing end plate situation, as we saw. But, uh, yeah, I mean, after qualifying, seeing just the ridiculous pace Vettel was able to go, faster, you know, well faster than his teammate, and then just way clear well, the rest of the, the field. the beginning of the race, he was gone. A second a lap. Yeah, second a lap over Alonso, but that's, I think, just because, you know, Weber just lost out a little bit in the start and uh, ended up behind Alonso. So I think if, if Weber were right behind him, it would have been able to uh, to stick a lot closer. And that's just kind of the way the way it happened, uh, you know, just with, with Weber not making quite as good a start and uh, Alonso just really getting well off the line. Certainly, and, and but that. I mean, it, it, my point is, is that, you know, after 10 laps, he had a 10-second gap. I mean, he had this race in the bag. Right. So after, as what I was getting at, though, is like after qualifying and just seeing this pace and everything, you know, it's really hard to, to look at that and, and see, you know, with the way Red Bull's been developing and all that and just think, man, Vettel really is in a good spot for the championship. I mean, right now it's being led uh, or going into the race anyway um, with, with you know, McLarens. Um, but just seeing where they are and kind of looking at the trends and all that, it's kind of like, man, these Red Bull guys really seem to have it figured out. And Vettel specifically able to just put in these astonishing laps in qualifying. And, and yet they're third and fourth in the championship, yeah, not one and two. But, you know, it just sort of based on who else is strong and yeah ferrari's resurging but they're they're still a ways back and have to resort to silly team orders and all that to try to get themselves up there sure um, it just really seemed like okay man vettel is looking really really good for it and and things just fell apart for him today and uh and so it was you know it was going fine for it like you say he was he was just checked out and uh ab- so then there was this whole the front wing end plate and actually the safety car was pretty much a surprise i mean it didn't seem like it was uh, a big enough deal to um you know, I wouldn't have expected him to have to bring out a safety car for it, but they did. And then, as you talked about in the race report, all hell broke loose. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, though. Uh, he said it himself. He fell asleep. He, he, he was not paying close attention. And Weber and the safety car took off. Well, it, as and as one of our fans, we'll talk about this in feedback in a second, but I, I think rightly put it, he almost accepted the blame for something. He says, I fell asleep. Oh, but actually, it was kind of because of the radio. I didn't have my radio. Well, that, which that doesn't happen. make any sense. I don't, know, I don't know how you lose your radio. Oh, but then, but then, oh, but then it wasn't the radio. Oh, but Mark Weber was doing something weird because usually the guy behind the safety car is hanging back. So it was like he almost said, yeah, it was my fault, but then still kind of weaseled out of it. It was, like, it oh, was but, his fault. But it was it the radio. It was his fault. I'm but, sorry. But Mark was doing something weird. And so it was still sort of unfortunately, you know, right. the Vettel, like, right. you know, rarely really just goes, yeah, I screwed up. But it here's the thing. My own deal. Here's the thing. You're going to look back at the 2010 season and say, wow, Sebastian Vettel should have owned this thing. And he's not going to win it. He's yeah. not going to win it at this rate because he, is get, he has cost himself so many points time and time again. 
And, I mean, the first two or three, you know, two or three races of the season were a lot less his fault. The car was breaking down on him, and he lost a lot of good points there. But basically from that point on, more often than not, he's failed the team, I think. I mean, the crash between uh, the, the two of them mm-hmm. in Valencia, regardless of where you go, I mean, that was unnecessary. It did not have to happen that way. And um, this, this race result, I mean, things like that are going to add up, and they're going to add up fast. Because just, just like we said, he's been on pole in the last four races. He hasn't won the last four races. Yeah, in fact, this season, Vettel has been on pole seven times. Uh, and only con- you know it's only got two wins. So one of those was converted from pole uh, from a pole position, and the other one was from Mark Webber was right. on pole. So if you're one in seven for converting on pole, that's uh, pretty sad. Now, and what's interesting about that too is Mark Webber. He's been on pole four times. He's got four wins. Two of his pole positions were converted to wins. The other two were Sebastian Vettel's pole positions. Yeah. <sighs> so uh, yeah, talk about the teammate comparison and all that. So, but so getting back to Vettel's move. Uh, or, or lack of moves or whatever, um, it really, it's, it's uh, you know, it's hard to imagine winning the championship with, with com- comments like that, you know, just, oh, I kind of fell asleep there for a minute and right, whatever. Right. I mean, there's there's so many drivers that are so hungry and would just love the opportunity to be in that car that are probably looking at that interview and going, like, what the heck, Vettel, come on. Like, yeah, you've exactly. got the best opportunity of everyone. You have the really, really fast car, pit, you know, pole position by huge margin. And you mess it up with a penalty because um, – so, so basically the, the whole way that came down was just that Mark Webber did not pit. And all that chaos and everything that was going on, he stayed out, yeah. um, which, you know, if there was maybe a second safety car or something like that, he would have come in. But uh, as it happened – But um, that shouldn't have resulted in a win for him. Right. That was – so it was all – you know, there was you – know, he would have had to pit. Right. He would not have been able – you know, you wouldn't think been able to uh, – to stay out in front of Vettel and get up enough yeah. of a lead. I really think it was all Vettel's race to lose. Yeah, um, exactly. And exactly. So so as it happened, there was that. There was a drive-thru, and he didn't even know why he was getting the drive-thru penalty, uh, and there was some confusion about that. And that that you can put down to the radio. But still, um, you know, Vettel ought to know the rules and be awake during the But again, the races. I, mean, how did he get a ra- I mean, how did he get a radio transmission that he got the drive-thru and then not get the radio transmission for why he got the drive-thru and not get the radio transmission for, um, you know, catching up to the, you know, all these little things? It's like... Come on. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't add up. And um, Well, drive through they can put on a pit board, but either way. Still, I, okay, so point is, is that Weber was able to win this race because he pulled enough of a gap because he pitted so much later and he was so much faster that he could uh, go into the pits, come back out, still be in the lead. Had Vettel not gotten the drive through penalty, he never would have lost that position to Alonso and could have stayed four or five seconds behind Weber, no problem. And then when Weber went off to pit, Vettel would le- Would have been comfortably in the lead again. So, But as it happened, um, Mark Weber put 43 laps on the super soft tires. It was just a... That was sort of the performance that you know that we haven't seen in a long time um, where of just really looking after the tires and whether the tires were harder than they needed to be for the super soft tires, you know, for them to be able to hold on that long, especially after the, the, the race weekend was maybe hotter than predicted and, and was, you know, the hottest it had been all weekend was during the race. All signs were pointing to, like, another a repeat of Montreal where, like, all oh, the tires are going to go off and it's going right, to be crazy. Right. And it was the exact opposite. It was right. 43 laps. And his tires didn't even look, you know, terrible by the time he pulled into for that pit stop. Well, in the interviews, he said the left front was pretty well, uh, pretty well done. Um, but, I mean, here's... I think, okay, this speaks to three things. One, um, the tires were not soft enough. They should have been softer for more exciting racing. Second, uh, 
Mark Webber got an opportunity, and he maximized it. He worked really hard to take advantage of the opportunity because it certainly wasn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. He could have just as easily stayed out and had his uh, tires fall off five laps later, not really gained that much, maybe end up fourth or fifth or something like that. Um, but he was able to, at the same time, go quickly but not do so by sliding the car around a ton and keep the tires in in, in good shape. And the third and final thing that I think it points to is that these Red Bull cars, just in general, have been quite easy on their tires. Yeah. Because I'm not sure any other car could have done that. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Button had his his drive on, you know, uh, what second race of the year, whatever, you know, which which that was on harder tires, I think, still. Yes. But, you know, it was like all but three laps of the race on, on one set of tires and all that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, to, to not only stay out but also set you know get enough fast laps in to to build up enough lead to come into the pits and back out in front of the alonzo vettel uh combination uh was was just a brilliant job and uh you know that this makes him the only four-time winner this season so it's uh you know imagine last year at this time thinking mark weber would be leading the championship and have more wins than everyone else uh would have just sounded crazy but hey that's uh that that's how it's coming to be and that is you know, I'm, I'm sort of happy for that. Yeah, and so, okay, there's no doubt that he won this because of what happened in the pits. So what happened in the pits? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, first of all, the whole thing, I, I don't, with Rosberg, did the did the wheel nut guy not even get a chance? Did he finally tighten it and it wasn't tightened? I mean, do we know anything about that? Because that was, that could have gone a lot worse than it did. Yeah, so what happened is, is as soon as Rosberg pulled out of his pit stall, the, the right rear wheel just came off. So it's like either it's not it wasn't even like partway around the lap like if you remember actually in hungary we've had loose wheel issues yeah. before mm-hmm. for some reason um but it was as soon as he pulled off so it's like the wheel like the nut was just totally wrong or missing or something you know something wasn't right there um but yeah the moment he pulled off into the into the, the pit lane um the wheel just started bouncing off but he'd gotten up just enough speed that that thing bounced and like yeah it oh, well it, it it tore off i mean that was that was the really unfortunate thing is it not a hundred feet from his pit stall but he'd done a big burnout and gotten moving, so just fast enough that there was a ton of energy in that tire. Yeah, and it shot off immediately. It actually rolled off like a, like a cannon at first, then it hit something and then it started bouncing. It bounced way up. It high, could have yeah. taken out a few people, taken out a car. It could have hit a driver in the head. Could have done a lot of really awful things. Yeah, I was thinking. I mean, if that if that landed on someone's rear wing, that would be you know end of their race, or you know landed on a person, then that's obviously it, it could have it could have killed somebody. I mean, it could if if it if it hit a driver on the head or it hit someone a pit crew square on the head. Yeah, and it came. I really it could have killed somebody so easily. So I think when you look at the you know spectators and the way the track is laid out and all that, this is probably actually one of the most dangerous places. It's it's lower speed, but with all those all that many people and everyone's got their jobs to do, so they're not focused on. Hey, what if there's a tire going about to fall on my head uh that is you know in the pit lane is a really really dangerous place for a tire to come off uh so they were actually fined fifty thousand dollars for an unsafe release uh, which they is, should have just set something on fire which would is, have been a lot cheaper <laughs> which is only fair uh, as you know we've had other teams fi- you know fined for the same thing you know the wheel falling off the tire uh, falling off the car later in a lap but so, what's but what's more legitimate because when this happened to alonzo a year or two ago it was you know disqualified but like they almost were banned from the next race, and well, they ended up being like a suspended ban or something second, else. Out. And that was their second infraction. I think uh, you know the first one is your warning, or, or is the is the like okay, there's a fine because it's not safe. And then the second time sort of shows like 
you didn't learn your lesson the first time. So is McLaren Mercedes on probation of sorts for 12 months or something like that? McLaren's fine, but Mercedes, I'm I think, is... Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to see if... Uh, you if, know just as well as I do that McLaren will be fine for this. <laughs> Somehow it's their fault. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, presumably if this happens again, then, yeah, there will be some pretty very serious ban. And uh, maybe that's, uh, yeah, the FIA's way of helping out Schumacher by messing up Rosberg's race. I don't know. But um, but it ended up it, it was in the air and it was actually caught mid air by a Williams mechanic, apparently some big dude, and he ended up going to the medical center. But I think he was released and he was yeah he was okay, okay. But it was yeah I mean you know the wheel and tire weighs like forty pounds and I mean uh, you know to to try to catch that uh, and just you know it's it's not a small thing. Um, yeah. Also, it, it had been you know heated up. It had been in tire warmers and so it was just as hot as the wheel as the tires you know as soon as they come off of, uh, of the race car. So uh, you know guy must have had gloves on and all that. But uh, yeah, it's, it shows a lot. It's one of these just weird things that. You know, years ago when people were out in the pit lane in, you know, shorts and T-shirts or whatever, right. uh, it could have been a lot worse than uh, nowadays everyone with safety suits and helmets and all that. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy because, as you mentioned, while this wheel was bouncing way up in the air and made several, like, really big bounces through crowds of people and cars, um, there was the whole um, Renault releasing Kubica right as Adrian Sutil was pulling to his pit stall. So, yeah, and I mean, they, you know, the lead mechanic was blasted for making a, a very egregious error, and it was. But at the same time, I mean, you do have to say there was a lot going on, and it was just more than anything just really unfortunate timing that just as you're about to release your guy, the one guy that's right in front of you comes in. So I guess I'm just I'm, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to the guy than maybe some of the other people were. Yeah. But, it was, I mean, it absolutely was his fault. It was absolutely unfortunate. It ended up taking both cards out. Kubica did try to go back out again. Yeah. But so uh, Sutil, to, to no avail. Yeah. So Sutil um, was, was really no fault. He was just, you know, coming down the pit line, pulling into his pit stall, and can't see that there's, you know, the Renault pulling out behind this, you know, the, yeah, all the pit there's nothing standing there. Do about it. So, and that sucks for him because it, it broke his right front suspension, and he just, you know, the guys told him, shut off the car right there, you're done. And that, that really sucks for him because... Uh, you know, just as what a sad way to oh, yeah, race. Absolutely. Um, and then, in, as you mentioned, yeah. So Kubica's car, they sort of they pushed it back into the pit stall and uh, and, and sent it out for a couple laps, and it had some problems, so they ended up retiring. Um, but Renault was also fined fifty thousand dollars for an unsafe release, uh, which so <laughs> that it was all of this within the period of yeah fifteen seconds of each other or whatever. Um, so. That I mean, and then and then there was the Ferrari pits uh, going on there as well. So Ferrari did bring in both drivers, Alonso first, of course, because he was on track, and there I think it was left, his left front guy was a little bit slow. It wasn't uh-huh. it wasn't mm-hmm. terrible, but it was a little bit slow. And they did stack the pits, uh, so Massa was right there as soon as Alonso pulled out, and uh, and I think pretty much as a result of that, uh, Massa did lose out the position to Hamilton. I think if their pits had been a little bit faster, um, they may have been able to get out and uh, and not lose that position. So. But that turned out not to be an issue because Hamilton broke a drive shaft later on and was done. Yes. So as it happened, but, uh, you know, so the Ferrari, there was there was sort of chaos all the way around, some more severe than others. But, uh, yeah, that was that was some some craziness. And like you mentioned in the race report, um, this race could have been a whole lot different if it weren't for that whole end plate. Because the, all this one little this whole chain reaction caused of, all this stuff of craziness. Um, so. After that, I mean, there was, you know, there was Weber just doing his thing with his tires and, and, and pitting way late. Um, but other than that, there's not a whole lot of crazy battles until... Save for one. Yeah. So so it's so apropos. This whole thing happens with team orders between Ferrari, where Alonso really is trying to establish himself as the next Schumacher. Whether he really deserves that title yet or not, I, I don't think so. 
And or whether that's a title you even really want, I mean, is another thing. I think well, he's yeah, already fair. been called the best driver ever and, and all that. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, so Rubens gets asked all about this and by everybody. So this whole thing kind of comes up again. And then, alas, at the end of the race, who has he got to pass for the final points paying position but Michael Schumacher? Yeah. And the way that ends up going down is pretty amazing. Of course, um, Rubens is on fresh, soft tires. Uh, Michael, I don't think, I think he was on the hard compounds yep. at yep. that point. Rubens was clearly faster. He caught him. Michael was uh, defending aggressively. And which he's, is and everything he, you'd expect him to do, and he knows exactly the rule of the you know the one you know one blocking move that you're allowed to make, and he made the most of it, and uh, and basically went it was this is on the front straight, which is you know and Rubens was behind Michael for a while, just yeah. Getting so close that's what I was getting to is he was it was a few laps worth of that, and then Rubens finally got a good head of steam on the front straight, and Michael damn near put him in the put him in the wall. Yeah, so this is right up to the end of the of the pit wall, and uh, and. So Michael was actually his. He was over the white line, um, so at, you know the edge of the track. So Rubens' car was well and truly off the road um, on the dirt, but able to. So, but Rubens um, held onto it, and it was inches from the wall on the right side, off the track. Once the wall was, you know, once he went past the wall, um, but held onto it and actually made the pass and made it stick. And uh, that was with like one lap to go. Yeah, it was and, a very very impressive pass. Yeah. So after all that, um, and, and you know, Barrichello had uh, had plenty to say. Um, so I have a <laughs> quote from him here. Where he says, "You know, I have a lot of experience, and usually with a crazy guy like that, I would lift off, but not today. Absolutely not." Uh, which just I think goes to his sentiment of all everything that's been brought up with him uh, and yeah, Schumacher just... and with the, just the way it's all been. Um, it's it's crazy, and he goes on to say, um, I think it's been mo- one of the most beautiful maneuvers I've done, and one of the most horrendous from him. And he says, at the end of the day, we don't need that. What's interesting too is Michael was quoted, and he said, "Well, this is F one, and I didn't pa- I didn't block aggressively enough because Rubens got around," which to me is just really a dick thing to say because it 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 is F one, which means you should be at a higher caliper than literally trying to run another guy into the wall, and. It is I, – I do understand that kind of like, you know, you want to be aggressive always for every position and always – I mean, that's how you become, you know, a champion. But at the same time, there's got to be some level of respect. And Rubens got a genuine good run on Michael, and he was was dangerous. Yeah. And I think there's a way to block, um, and, and you know, it, it all comes down to sort of where the cars are in, rel- in relation to each other and so on. I mean, you can you can block, you can drive aggressively, drive defensively to um, to not let the guy around you. Which Michael did for three or four laps right. very successfully. I, I no issue with any without, of that. Yeah, without nearly pushing a guy into the wall. And for Rubens, you know, for him to be able to back off, I mean, he's he's way, way off the racing line at that point, well in the dirty stuff. I mean, there's no guarantee, even if, even if uh, you know, if Rubens' head lifted and gotten on the brakes, you know, if that would have been quick enough or, or well enough to, to even get him out of the wall. I mean, it seems like he almost sort of had to just stay where he was and do a brilliant bit of driving, which he did, to to just thread the needle between Michael's car and the wall. But, uh, I mean, any way you look at it, I think that was just a, you know, a crazy move. Um, and I guess that's just sort of Schumacher, though. I mean, that's that's his mentality is it doesn't matter how you get the positions. It just matters the result, uh, you know, is, is, is all that matters at the end of it and just the points and all that. But... But yeah, I so I, I think um, I, you know I, I think Rubens um, is, is right. You know, it's like it's it's we don't need that. It's that's that's not what it's about. And to you know be able to make a pass safely um, is just it's just more important. And um, 
you know, if, if Michael were, were that good and his car were that fast, then, it's, you know, he should be able to hold, hold him off completely and not have to resort to cheap shots. So as a result, the FIA did happen to agree with us, and he got, I believe, a 10-spot grid penalty for oh, the next yeah, race. Oh, right. so, He did. Um, that is how the cookie crumbles. And if he, so if he qualifies uh, in Spa, like he did today, 14th spot, that puts him in 24th. Oh, I yes. I hope Sakon just takes him right out just for the <laughs> just for the poetic justice of it all. No, I don't hope that. That's that's an awful thing to hope. And I don't put a pox on Ferrari. That's a bad thing to say too. Um, but anyway, yeah, he's probably looking to be at the back. Something tells me Rosberg is going to be further up the grid than Schumacher. Um, come next race, rants on F1. Consider that before you send your predictions to us for the next race. Um, anyway, one last thing just to mention real quick. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but Button needs to up his game. I mean, Hamilton really outdid him this race, and I think it was pretty similar last race. So as a Button fan, this is my call out to you to really dig deeper and try to start getting more out of that car because you, you, you've done so well so far. You've, you've put a lot of your doubters. Uh, you quieted a lot of your doubters, but they're starting to rumble again. So up your game, dude. For real. And, uh, and you know, it's unfortunate for Lewis, the way with the car failure this weekend, you know, how that hurts him in the points so much. Uh, to he get... was looking for a solid finish. Yeah, he was going to be, you know, top five probably. And, um, and you know, to end up with zero points and have his rivals pull ahead of him, that, that obviously hurt and him for the championship. And lose the championship in the process. Especially when this is the kind of, you know, with the dominant performance of the Red Bulls, if Lewis can just keep these consistent finishes and something maybe happens to one Red Bull or another, I mean, that's the kind of thing that can really just really make a huge difference coming into the season. So right, yeah. This... And, and even that, I mean, Lewis is still second in the championship and very close to first, and uh, Button is now fourth. So, But it would have been so much better if he had a top five position. And, and yeah, and, but Button, man, I, I, I mean, I give you sort of friendly grief for it, but uh, it, is, <laughs> it is unfortunate uh, to see, you know, to see, I don't know, whatever it is about the car and the setup and the, and the just development or whatever it is that's just really not working out for Button. But uh, I hope for more from him as well. And... You know the next race, Spa Francorchamps circuit. I mean that's just one of the you know, classic drivers track. We've seen some just some really cool stuff there, um, and uh, you know hopefully that whatever if, that, if that'll suit Button's tortoise style. If it's not quite as crazy sliding around, I mean you know he he knows his way around all rouge and all that. So uh, yeah, my biggest concern is if the Red Bulls are quick at Hungaroring, how fast are they going to be at Spa? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, although because I mean, that's another real solid aerodynamics track. Yeah, or if, if the F ducts will will be helpful. I mean, whatever. We'll we'll have to see. But I mean, McLaren really seems to be behind the ball with this development race. But that's just it. I mean, that's that's the crazy thing. And especially you just you just made me think of this, and I'm sorry uh, to interrupt. But you know, the one thing that the McLarens have over the other cars is straight line speed. So the one thing the McLaren should be able to do is pass people on the front straight or something like that. And Button couldn't do that to save his life. Yeah. And that's the other thing that Red Bull's got to be very careful about it because when they have a driver like Vettel that has these mistakes and ends up being two or three places behind, then he really struggles to pass because he doesn't have the speed where he really needs it. And yeah, that's we, the one weak point of the Red Bull is their ability to pass other cars yeah, that are close. We didn't talk about that much, but he, Vettel was just unable to get around Alonso. He was never even that close because no. by the end, you know, there's really only one big overtaking spot at the end, at turn one, at the end of the front straight at, uh, at, at Hungara ring. And, he just every time, you know, uh, Vettel would catch up Alonso in the in the in the corners and the twisty bits with no opportunity to get around him. But then by the time it was the end of the front straight, where you'd normally have an opportunity to pass, the Ferrari would just be checked out. It was yeah. just just faster down the straight. So the 
there's no question on a single flying lap that the Red Bulls are just the class of the field right now. But in the race, there's still there's a lot. It takes a lot more than just raw speed. Yeah, there's and compromises. And uh, and right now they're they're sort of you know not quite there. So that said, even if the Red Bulls are uh, are on top of it, you know, for qualifying in, in Spa, which I'll, it's kind of hard not to expect that um, the McLarens or Ferrari or whomever still could. Uh, you know, come out and have some success because, uh, as we've seen, even even something as simple as a, a an end plate can <laughs> just go and screw the whole thing up. Yeah, who'd have thought? Once again, it is your favorite and our favorite part of the show. It is listener feedback, and uh, once again, another solid run of comments from you guys on the F One Show dot com page thing which uh, we want to thank you for. So thanks to Rab Robertson, uh, Ken Rerock, Tony Bird, uh, Gavin Brown, who is Rubber Goat. And uh, Gavin Brown has a link to some interesting things um, showing uh, the difference between Massa's lap times and Alonzo's. It's actually quite fascinating. So uh, that's worth checking out for some of you guys. And Rance on F1, uh, who predicted uh, for the trivia, predicted for the trivia. He, He guessed the trivia. And um, also, uh, Michael Kornbrecka, which apparently is the correct way to pronounce his name. We got that right. Um, gave us a nice long set of comments. Um, he personally thinks that um, team orders are quite all right. No big deal. Um, unless they go against Mark Weber, of course. And uh, he, I do want to throw out his predictions here because I thought they were funny. Uh, predictions for Hungary. Well, I'm already too late for quality, but I would have said Weber for pole and Weber for the win anyway. So I'll stick with that. Like I said last race... Yeah, that's his continuous prediction. Yeah, so. this will always be my prediction, even after Weber has retired. As an Aussie, how can I do anything less? Keep up the good work, guys. Michael. Um, well, how's that go? It actually turned out to be correct, but... Yeah, for uh, for the race win, absolutely. And um, we'll, we'll talk more about predictions in a minute, but I do want to say from, uh, from Twitter, uh, our boy Cam McGrath, man, uh, I know he's... Uh, Pretty sure he's from Australia and uh, thus a Weber fan. But I uh, had a lot of good points today talking about um, just, you know, Vettel's, uh, his reaction to this whole thing uh, in the press conference, you know, just just sulking on the podium. He, you know, he acting uh, more upset than Massa did when Massa was the only guy that had a reasonable reason to be upset. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not wanting to take any blame for himself in the uh, in anything. It just kind of and made the point that, um, you know, admitting in the press conference, you know, honestly that, oh, yeah, well, I kind of fell asleep there, you know, and he expects to win the championship that way. So I think, you know, thanks thanks for the comments, Cam, and uh, we appreciate that. And uh, I pretty much agree with, with most of what you said. So uh, that's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's frustrating because I think Vettel really has a chance and he really just keeps squandering it one way or another. And uh, that's, uh, that's really too bad. Um, also, I would, I, we have 709 people that like us on the Facebook page. Very, 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 very cool. Um, a lot of talk about the Schumacher and Rubens pass. Yes, the debate rages on yes. at uh, Facebook.com slash F1 show. So definitely get in there to, uh, to you know, make, your, make your opinion known because it's uh, interesting stuff. Yes, so uh, definitely heavily weighted towards uh, Rubens. Um, but this one, uh, this one was interesting. Peter Oliver says that um, uh, I forget his first name. Uh, Norberg is it Norberg Hog? The Norberg, Mercedes- Norberg, Norberg Hog. Um, tact- tacitly says it was Rubens' fault last week. It was no team orders given. Oh wait, last week it was no teams orders given. Okay, uh, last week said it was. So he just said, "Wow, wow, <laughs> wow." No, it's okay, everybody. I am okay. English, do you speak it? <laughs> 
Uh, Peter Oliver saying that Hogg said it was Ruben's fault this time around. He said last week there were no team orders. And uh, so he's just saying, what, what, what's going on here? So anyway, uh, in general, <laughs> now you've eliminated that coverage. <laughs> So what we're saying is our fans have great ways of expressing things. We're not even always able to manage. Our ability to express what they're expressing, not as good. So point B. Wow. You should go to the Facebook page. <laughs> or just go to F1show.com. You can uh, leave a comment right on the post right there. And there's links to our Twitter feed. We are at the F1 show and the Facebook page and all that. And uh, let's just, just, just go no, visit. Hold you on. can read it for yourself. Hold on. Let, me, let give, me try one more. I've got one go. more. This one this. is from Sean Scanlon. Schumacher is going to kill a driver if he doesn't stop making moves like that. Schumacher is a stubborn and arrogant little boy. Actually, he's really, really old. Who should retire at the end of the season. He is well past his sell-by date. Either he's going to kill another driver or he's going to seriously hurt someone, maybe a fan, and on and on. So uh, that's the level of uh, passion we're getting about these comments. And I, I think it makes sense. I mean, it was, it, was, it was up there. Indeed, and we want to hear from you. And actually... Um Rubens wants to hear from people as well on Twitter. He says, uh, you know, hey, people, tweet me your responses, what you think about this whole incident with Michael. And uh, his Twitter name is at Barrichello or Rubarichello, or however you'd say that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's made an open call for that. And, uh, and, and let us know what you think as well. So, you know what uh, I just thought of? You know no. what this puts in perspective? Hmm. Remember how upset Truly got at Sutil? Yeah. <laughs> last year? No, this is, this is what's bad. This what is what happened to you, Truly? About. Not that bad. Yeah, definitely. Trivia, 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 trivia. Okay, it is time for trivia. As much fun as that listener feedback was, uh, was my apologies to Peter Oliver. I really, really screwed that up. Anyway, moving on, um, we had a question, and it was, who holds the record for best percentage of race wins to race starts? It was a ratio, and the question was the ratio. The answer well, the, is the question. Well, the the answer was the the guy that holds that ratio. Well, but it was also the ratio. Oh, and the ratio. Yeah, it was a, it was a it was a twofer. Oh, and the answer was an American, Lee Wallard. Well, sort of. Well, no, real. It is it is legitimately factually the truth. He um, he raced um, in two um, uh, GPs, as it were, and he won one of them. Um, and those two happened to be the Indianapolis 500, and he won the 1951 Indianis, uh, Indianapolis 500. So, that so follow- that's the answer. That is the truth. Following the letter of the uh, of the trivia question, you got yeah, that is Lee Wallard. Um, following the spirit of the trivia question, it is actually Juan Manuel Fangio, with which many of you correctly guess. He has a 46% win start ratio, uh, 52 starts and 24 wins. Um, which seems like a small number these days. You can get 52 starts in two and a half years. Yeah, this was Mark Webber's 150th Grand Prix start. Exactly. But back then, back in the day, there were much fewer official Grands Prix, and uh, hence that number. But he is the guy. There, however, is a new question. We must move on. And that question is, Sebastian Vettel's cosmically fast pole at Hungary makes it four times in a row for the young German. That must be some kind of a record, right? Wrong. Wrong. You took my line. No. <laughs> so the question is, what is the record? Who holds it? And what is the record for the active drivers? For number of consecutive polls? Number of consecutive pole positions. Yeah. 
That must mean it's prediction time, and I'm excited about this because as it happened, uh, I think my predictions actually were not that far off this You week. know that Hungarian restaurant closes pretty early, actually. Yeah, so we better talk about this sooner rather than later, <laughs> Mr. Hamilton Predictor Man. Listen, you know what? You were the one. You didn't, you didn't think outside the box. You didn't you didn't you didn't go out there and really really go for it. You played it safe. Yeah. You kept your cards by right, your chest. Okay, okay so what was Tongue the pre- in cheek. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> no, I don't want to talk about it. All right. So I had so the well, the statistical model, which as we always mention, you know, whoever was on poll last time will be on poll this time. Which was Vettel and then Alonso to win the race. Yes. Uh turned out to be very, very close. So it was very, very Vettel, close. Vettel was in fact pole position. Alonso did finish second. That is one point for the statistical model. Uh, fans, we had uh, Michael Kornbrecker, which uh, picked Weber Weber eternally. Yes. So eventually he's going to be very wrong. Eventually he will be very wrong, but in this case he was very close. He was very close because Weber was second in qualifying and won the race. So he, gets so one he point also well. got one point. So the uh, stat model and the fans tied. Um, so I'm hungry. Let's no, go. Well, there was two other predictions. Uh, one was mine. Right. Which was the inverse of the stat model. So it was... Um, so you had Alonzo on pole and Vettel to win the race, which obviously wasn't a smart call at all. Not at Alonso all. Alonzo was nowhere near. He was in third. Yeah. And uh, Vettel was nowhere near because he's a crybaby and falls asleep during the race. And he was also in third. So you got four points. And uh, so and, let's get some gulags. And then I believe our my esteemed colleague over here predicted Lewis Hamilton for <sighs> both pole position and for the race. Can I just say that I should be re- rewarded something for not putting button, which is what at least part of me wanted to do. But I was like, no, Hamilton's going to be strong most likely. No, I don't think. You're but actually, for that. button would have been the better bet. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I put Hamilton, Hamilton. But with his retirement... With he was fifth in qualifying, which isn't terrible. So, okay, this this was my assumption going into predictions, that um, because Hungara Ring is going to be tight, all the, you know, all the aero advantages that the Red Bull has aren't going to be as effective. I was way off on that. Um, the other thing I thought was that even if the car isn't as strong, Hamilton's really, really good. He's really good at Hungary, and he's going to muscle the car uh, through. Um, that was actually kind of true. It's just that the car was so bad... Um, that he couldn't do anything about it. And he was he could potentially have been on the podium, but his drive shaft failed, hence he was 20th. I got 23 points. I owe you 19 Cokes. That's a lot of Cokes. And uh, you've, you've gained on me quite a bit. I now have 83 points to your 112. Um, the fans still have 158. Um, fans... I don't want to, you know, put blame on it, but Rance on F1 added 50 points to your That's a lot thing. of points. And the stat model is now well and truly ahead of both of us. It has 73 points. Well, um, this, so. is, this is almost this is this is Braun GP all over again, right? We might have to start predicting thirteenth if it's just like you know Vettel slash Weber all the time. Well, and here's the other thing too. I mean, the fans do get a leg up on us because the fans tend to predict at least after practice, if not sometimes after qualifying. Yeah. Uh, usually, the after qualifying ones we don't take. The Belgian Grand Prix is four weeks away. You know, Lord knows what could happen between now and then. Could be raining. But we're we're, we're be- out here. We're out in the in the weather. Predicting anyway. That's right. You know, we're the, we're, we're the guys on the field four weeks prior to the field having things on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is way early. That said. It's time. I mean, so you're time to predict. But, I mean, if you predict anything other than Red Bull on pole, you're crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Sebastian Vettel is going to be able to finally convert a pole to a victory. Second one in the year. And, that would, and, be, five, and, and that would be five in a row for polls. For I, you think he can do that? I think he can do that. And you think he's going to win the race as I well? I do. Well, and a statistical model 
thinks that uh, Vettel is going to be on pole as well, and it happens to think that Mark Webber is going to win the race. And what do you think? <sighs> to be totally honest, I, I completely... Jensen Button. I, right? Yeah. I think Jensen Button will, in fact, be there. Um, I, I think Sebastian... I think Vettel's going to... I completely agree with you. I think Vettel's going to be on pole, and I think Vettel's going to win the race because it's, it's, it's almost getting comically bad. I think he has to recover somehow. I think Spa's the type of track where his talents are really going to be good. Weber could be the spoiler, but I, I, I don't see anything else. You know, I, I, I don't see how it's going to happen otherwise. So there it is. So you and I, no matter what happens, are going to be neutral on Cokes next time round. So maybe if you don't mind sharing a couple of the ones I owe you, of the 19 that I owe you, maybe you give me one or two That's for the next than, race. That's more than one person even needs. That's right. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Share the wealth. All right, and then so the last prediction is who will be the first one out of the race uh, in Spa? Because there's going to be some attrition. I mean, oh. some crash or some failure or I something. See. Well, I think uh, gotta, I think it'll be Michael Schumacher because he's going to be canned to death um, somewhere <laughs> during the weekend because people are so upset with him. And maybe bottles today having a problem. All right, I think it's going to be Tonio Liuzzi. Just putting that out oh, there. Liuzzi. Oh, Liuzzi. I disagree. Uh, I was going to say Sakon Yamamoto, but he's been finishing races. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to say Sutil. Just right. to, just there you to, go. So at least we'll have some some coke. No, disparity. I take that back. It's going to be a virgin. You get out of your mind. It's going to be a virgin. It's going to be Degrassi. Degrassi. There you have it. So um, we may have a little bit slightly delayed um, spa coverage for you, but that's like a month from now anyway. Yeah, so I know. We'll, Freaking weddings. We'll figure it out. The good news is is that it's it's a much tighter thing. I'm not going off into the you know complete other side of the country or anything like that. So hopefully we can do it. Just a day late, and I think we'll keep up on Facebook and Twitter um, about exactly when it's going to be, but hopefully it'll be not too bad. And as our fans have unanimously spoken, uh, we are not very good at doing shows on our own, and uh, it's better to just wait a day or two or six and um, have us do the show together. So we'll do that as our fans want, and um, we'll, yeah, basically speak to you guys in like a month's time. Um, In the meantime, definitely check out F1Show.com and keep up with all the lively discussion and everything that's going on on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later on. Until then, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. We hope you enjoyed listening to us and will enjoy listening to us again in the future. The F1 Show is hosted by Jim Lau and Robin Warner. Many thanks to our editor, Jim Lau. We couldn't do trivia without our fact finder, Robin Warner. A tip of our hat to producers Robin Warner and Jim Lau as well as our executive producers, Robin Warner and Jim Lau. Of course, a thousand thank yous to our excellent catering service, Restaurants. And finally, we'd like to offer a huge thank you to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B from the Big Band album for our outro and intro music. The F1 Show is brought to you by two Americans who love the sport of F1, Jim Lau and Robin Warner.